Welcome to a brand new season of The Bear and the Bull. I am Nick Webster, part of the board of directors for Cow South. In fact, I got a promotion recently. I'm now the treasurer, so um, watch your wallets. Obviously, with a brand new season, there is so much going on at Cow South, and I am delighted to welcome to the show today Diogo Gama, the new director of soccer. Diogo, welcome. Thank you, Nick, and uh, thank you to everyone that is there listening to your podcast. Uh, it's a very important uh, communication tool that we need to use. So these moments of informal communication for me are the ones that have more impact. So I want to say thank you for everyone that is listening. And uh, thank you, Nick, for inviting me to be here. Yes, you better believe it. And folks, you've probably noticed that Diogo has a little bit of an accent. That is because he is from the fair country of Portugal. And I've been lucky enough to visit Portugal on a number of occasions. My most favorite being back in 2004 for the Euros, which was just absolutely special. And when we think about Portugal, we think about some very, very famous players. And the two that immediately come to mind are Luis Figo for me and, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo. And Diogo's had the incredible luck and fortitude and being in the right place at the right time to have been at Sporting Club de Portugal. So let's let's talk about that journey of how you got to Sporting Club, Diogo, because I know that football actually wasn't your first love. So can you explain a little bit about that? Uh, so first of all, I'm, a so I'm sorry for my English, sorry for my accent. I'll try to express as best as possible. But again, sorry if uh, I don't have a perfect English, but I'll try to improve and get better. Uh, talking about Figo, talking about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, I can talk about uh, also other players that uh, for me, they were also very important players uh, in the, the, the world of soccer. So a little bit of my journey, like Nick, you said, um, my first love uh, or here in Portugal, you don't have another option. You either love uh, soccer or you love soccer. But then the ones that are not great playing soccer, they find out uh, other sports to do. And this is what really happened with me. So I played soccer when I was younger. I, what, I was not the best of it. And then uh, I moved to another sport that uh, was rugby. So... I played a very good level rugby. Um, I played the World Cups for Portugal, uh, rugby union, uh, rugby seven. So I did play elite uh, sports. Um, but then I was lucky enough because I studied sports science, and uh, because uh, and this is it is it's like this. It's not just what you know; it's also who you know. And because of that, I got the chance to work my first job in soccer on the first national team of Portugal. So. Not just uh, being in sporting, I had the access to, to, to be with Cristiano. Actually, my first job on the national team of Portugal, I did work with Cristiano. Um, at the time, Figo was not there. So this was 2006, 2007. But uh, I did work with Cristiano when he was uh, still young. Uh, and I had the, 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 the privilege to be working close by to him. Uh, from there, uh, I moved... To, to Real Madrid. Um, so I worked three years in Real Madrid as a, a, a performance coach. Um, so I was responsible there for all the individual works of the, the players of the academy. 
And uh, at the time, I had the pleasure to work with uh, well-known players as Lucas Vasquez that uh, just played now here with Nacho Fernandes, uh, Morata, or um, uh, let me say more names, or Carvajal. So I, I worked directly with them, with them. I still have a good relation uh, with them. The person that took me to, to Real Madrid then uh, eventually took me as well to one of the projects that I most enjoyed to work that was in Aspire. So I worked eight years uh, in Aspire. Aspire is a national team programs for Qatar. And the project that I was called in was to work as the, 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 the methodology coordinator. So I moved myself a little bit from the pitch as a performance coach then because I was very well structured and I had the capacity to, to build programs, uh, they invite me to, to build the methodology of Aspire. So I stayed there for eight years and it was eight years of an amazing journey that we develop also players that now they will play on the World Cup. So I can mention a couple of names of Qatar that they will play the, the, the World Cup. I also had the privilege of working with the re well-renowned players, uh, Raul Gonzalez from Real Madrid, Xavi, uh, that they were working with us in um, in Aspire. So I, I was lucky enough to have access to a lot of people with a lot of knowledge. So yes, I'm Portuguese, but I think in this moment, more than Portuguese, I'm a citizen of the world. And I really say this in uh, open heart because I've been learning with a lot from a lot of cultures. Uh, from uh, Qatar, that we also have very success, not just on the player's perspective, because this is where I really believe and where I'm really coming from. It's a player's perspective development program. We also have success in terms of teams. So our national teams, they were able to win the AFC. So it means that is the Asian Championship for the Under-19. And on my last year on Aspire, we won the AFC for the first team uh, for Asia. So and not just players that we prepare, that they will be, be ready to play a World Cup uh, and when I say be ready to play a World Cup of course they won't, will not win the World Cup but at least they will have the level to be able to compete over there that for a country like Qatar is the most important thing uh, as a team we are also able to, to produce results so the good thing is we never prepare the team we prepare the players for the World Cup but then uh, it was a consequence so winning these two trophies was a consequence after that, I had the invitation to come to Sporting. Uh, in Sporting, my role was the director of sports strategy. So now a, li a little bit more higher than what I was doing uh, in, in, in Aspire. So in Aspire, I was coordinating the methodology. Now I'm coordinating the full program in terms of medium and long term uh, strategy of the club for sustainability, mainly sports sustainability. So I had under my responsibility scouting networks, partnerships with clubs, coaching development. Um, so I have a lot of uh, things that I need to plan and structure. And that's why I came to Sporting. So I stayed there uh, four years. Uh, during my this my four years, um, I was also invited to participate on three national programs. So you know that the countries, they do 10 years projects in terms of uh, where they would like to be in 10 years time. So I participate for the Qatar uh, 2030, for Saudi Arabia 2030. And uh, lastly, I participate also for Portugal 2030 uh, with Deloitte. So Deloitte uh, hired me as a, an external consultant and I, 
and help them to, to build the project for Portugal 2030 in terms of the soccer strategy. A little bit because of this, uh, I had the, the invitation from Terry and the, the thing that I want to make it clear is maybe we can think that is a step down for me on my career, but it's not, okay? And the, the thing that I want to leave even more clear is coming to CalSat is giving me the opportunity to implement all the ideas that I've been compiling through my career and be able in CalSat to do that. That's what really engaged me to come. Um, for me, working in, in, in a big club, we always have limitations. Uh, these limitations doesn't allow us to, to exactly execute the things that we really believe 100%. And what happened now in CalSat is exactly the, the, the opposite. So um, I have the full trust of the board as well as the, the, the CEO, Terry Fisher, to implement all the, the, the concepts that... Uh, I, sh I believe that they will work. Most of them I already applied. I was not able to apply them all together, uh, but applied, applied them in other uh, structures. Uh, so one of the things that we really implement now in sporting was, and this is what is the trend right now, but uh, I think uh, from Aspire we implemented this. We took this also to, to, to sporting, and the, the consequence of this was we won an award from ECA for the best youth development model. And the model is completely based in player development. So we, we shifted a little bit the mindset as well uh, here in sporting. That was one of the things that we did. So we said if our goal is to put players to play on the first team, because that's why we are on sporting. So we really need to have a model, a development model that is based on this. And the way that we structure a little bit similar from the things that we were already doing in Aspire. We implemented in Sporting, we presented to Weka, and the result of it is not just the players that are playing better, much more players on the first team. Of course, that Sporting have a coach that also believes that, but as well on the youth national team. So we went from uh, one year and a half to the other of having, let's say, 16 players on national teams uh, in having 30 players on national teams. So we, we almost double it. Uh, why? Because we we had the focus a lot on the player, and of course that the results they will um, they will appear. So we'll be uh, under a little bit these premises. So my experience on building uh, national projects, uh, on building uh, programs in terms of methodology, but as well um, on building compact programs uh, for players development that we will apply here in uh, in Calsout. I think the big shift that we will bring, and it's a message that I will start to to force a lot, is youth development is not about teams. Youth development is about players. Okay, look, I never saw a team going to the university. I never saw a team going to a, pro, a professional uh, uh, club. So I see players moving. So it's on the players that we really need to, to focus, and this will be a lot. Uh, the way that we're going to work and we're going to implement the things in CalSalt. Well, let's let's step back in time then and uh, the beginning of your coaching career. And of course, you go to one of the most famous clubs in the world, Real Madrid. You're just a young man. And uh, the reason why I bring this up is because we have coaches who listen to this podcast. We have players. We have parents. Um, and we have people that, you know, want to move ahead in the world's of soccer and football and we'll use those terms interchangeably what was it what was it like for you just as, as a as a young man to be going to the, the one of the citadels of football Real Madrid and 
all of a sudden you're responsible now for, as you've just described, developing players. Where where were you getting your motivations from? Who were you being inspired by? Were the ideas coming from yourself? Or with, and, you know, we, we talk about coaches. We, we beg, borrow, and steal from everybody. Um. What was what was that experience like of, of of going to Madrid and and starting your career? So I I'm going to be humble on this. Um, I, I had the opportunity to go to Madrid and definitely was not because I was the most experienced guy because I wasn't. Um, I had the opportunity for people that I do know, and because of that, the the, the opportunity appeared. So the, the the complete story, it's even a little bit more bizarre than uh, what I'm trying to make. So I was hired to work for the first team. And this is a true story. So at the time, the, the, the coach was Ben Schuster. The fitness coach that was there was Walter Di Salvo. And I was hired to go to, to the first team because they just developed also um, the, 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 a lab. So I was hired to go work in there. And then after three months of being working with the first team, uh, I really felt that I didn't have the knowledge, and this is true, that I didn't have the knowledge to be there. I didn't. So I was really feeling that uh, I was not having any kind of impact. So coming from a background of rugby, having a little bit of experience on uh, on soccer, many of the things that I started to do on the national team, Portugal's national team, was uh, the beginnings of the GPSs. I start to track the, the, the performance by position of the of the players, and in a very rustic way. So with a stopwatch, uh, I was very strong uh, preparing players mainly on the strength. Um, I was very strong, but when I got to the first team, I really felt that uh, I didn't have space to to go there. So after three months, I I went to speak with Walter, and I said, "Look, Walter, I really appreciate a lot." being here but i do feel that uh, i i still don't have the level to be here so if you don't mind can you move me to the youth system okay so this is uh, i think it's a good example to give that i did so i was at the time 28 years old very young and i had the humility to understand that if i want to stay on soccer okay it's not because i'm with the best teams it's uh, i need to have the foundations I need to to go back. So, and the foundations really have to go to go low. So I asked Walter to go to the youth development to the Cantera. Uh, Walter agreed. So I was not wrong on my judgment. Walter agreed. So I went to work on the the youth develop, development. And when we working work on the youth, the the, the things they change uh, radically. So we start to have a project of three, five, and seven years of development, and not just one. Uh, like we have on the first team. So one is a pure performance model. The other one is a, a, a potential performance model. Uh, and this, uh, of course, turns, turns this perspective of the things completely around. So when I got there, um, I proposed a couple of things to do on the strength. So again, I always been a little bit data-driven. I, I need to, to understand the things why. That's why I also proposed on the national team to start to, to track the, 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 the intensity of the distance and the times with the players on their positions. So when I went to the, to the youth, I also proposed to start to assess the players on the, a biomechanical way and a musculoskeletal balance. Um, and the, the main reason was when I'm prescribing a training, I really need to measure the impact of the training. So 
Why am I prescribing a strength? Because I believe that this is good. No, look, and we need to create balance. And to in, in order to create balance, we need to measure that. So I proposed this, uh, was approved, and we implemented this on the, on the youth system. So look, I have pictures amazing of Morata that he could not touch with his uh, hands uh, on, on, on the toes. No flexibility at all. Um, Lucas Vasquez, no. Lucas was always a, a very, a very balanced player. But for example, Carvajal, no. Carvajal was a player that had a lot of strength on the front side of the body, but very weak on the on the back side. And eventually, this will give him a, a lot of injury. So we start to work on this type of things with, with them. Um, I think it really worked. It really worked. Um, because now I, I keep seeing them and all of them, they go to the gym, they keep doing things on the gym. So they, they really appreciate that type of work. They, they also got the, the culture. And this is, was the way that uh, I grow. I also had the, 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 the possibility of having someone that uh, believed in me uh, on the youth and uh, tell me, look, if you believe this, uh, why not? And sometimes this is the, the, the difference between having success or then has, having success. So I normally say that the difference between a crazy and a genius is if the people accept your idea or not. And in this case was I had success because someone accepted my idea. So it's something that it's, it's important for me and for the people that are around me that being innovative on in a way that you think because we cannot be stopped. Uh, the world uh, moves every day. And we need to move every day. Our body moves every day. So our way of thinking needs to move every day. And uh, I had good leaders that teach me this and gave me the opportunity to, to move forward. You bring up a really fascinating point about data. And in, in, in the football, soccer world, for, for many years, it has always been trust the eye. Trust the eye. The eye knows whether you're a good player, whether you can move to the next level whether you don't have what it takes, um, the, the, the character of a player. And yet you were kind of one of the first ones to implement this, this data. Talk to me about the importance of data because right now we, we, we have, you know, different platforms that are, you know, VO and Trace and, and whatnot that can, can look at a player. But I think that for many coaches and, and for parents, they have a very hard time uh, – interpreting the data um does does data and obviously putting you under on the spot here but does data tell you whether a player has the ability to make it to the next level look uh, the, the trend uh, on, on data uh, this really started uh, 15 years ago um, so it's curious because the, the gps the tracking systems they start to appear from the, the, the cattle's tracking systems. Um, and then we had the moment that we, we went nuts, we went crazy. I think we are still on it. So we are overwhelmed with information and the reality is we don't, do, we don't know what to do with information. So 90% of that information is not useful. And I say that it's not useful, why? Because we don't have the capacity to reconvert that uh, into, into training or into competition. So the data is there but it's not useful. So because of that appears the concept of the, the big data. So try to create algorithms or uh, AI systems that they can interpret this data because 
it started to be so complex and uh, the amount of it, the volume of that is so high that we can't do nothing. So we need to congregate, I'm sorry for the word, I don't know if it is co correct, uh, this into valuable information because the data by itself, it, if it is not transcribed into knowledge, is not, um, is not useful. I think that, and this is my opinion, uh, most of the people, they think that because they have technology that they will get better, but that's not true at all, okay? Uh, the, 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 the data needs to be interpreted and needs to have a sense on the context. So data supports the development or speed ups the development, but they are not the base of the, the, the development. So the base of the development definitely continues to be the training, continues to be the competition, uh, and, and the knowledge that is supporting on, on that. So, of course, that data is helping to have better knowledge and improve this knowledge. But, again, it's not the most important thing uh, right now. Look, we still have players coming from Africa that they, they didn't even have a, a cell phone and they are still players. So, um, I think we should not go crazy with the, with the data because, really, and this is a message for everyone, there are so many things much more important than data. What happens with the data is we hide ourselves behind the data. This is true. Uh, so, no, this player ran the uh, 8Ks or uh, 8 miles, so he did amazing uh, on the game. No, that's not true. It's not uh, what about he runs, is the level of decision that he's taking. Because if he's running, it means that he doesn't have the ball, because if he have the ball, he will not run. So, look, it's I think the next step, uh, and I'm a really believer on that, will be on the, the, the cognitive part. So we've been 12 years now with uh, with a lot of data in terms of uh, performance, analysis of uh, physical performance. Uh, I think people are starting to understand that the, the, the physical performance appears as a consequence, but uh, really what marks that consequence is the decision-making process. So I do believe that the next trend will be in terms of neurocognition, will be neurotraining. Uh, and here we'll start to have some uh, uh, techs that will support the decision-making process. I'm very comfortable with this. So I'm involved with a lot of projects of neurotraining. So one of the things that we did in Aspire was exactly this. Um, the, the big question that we did over there, because... And this is something that we we are trying to implement here in Calsatis. I don't know if we are coaches, but I do know that we are educators. Okay, I don't know if they are players, but I do know that they are learners. So if I'm an educator and I have a learner, uh, I need to educate, and he needs to learn. But am I sure that the kids are learning? And and this is a question that we all should do uh, because otherwise. We are being on an egocentric position. Uh, we are thinking on us, but at the end of the day, who measure our work, it's not what we do, it's what they do. Um, so coaching or educating, it's really all about the players. Uh, and the, the most and the more important thing that we should do before we know about the game is exactly be able to teach. And the question that I do, I will not answer now, but I'll leave this question uh, open. I do have the answer is, do we know how we learn? Again, do we know how we learn? I know that people will say repetition. Uh, I know people will say a lot of things, but then I will tell them. But look, we do know how the muscle contracts, right? We do know. 
we saw this in a, in a microscope or in movies or we see it, right? What about learning? What? It's, uh, it's energy that we cannot see. It's volatile. No. Everything that occurs inside of our body can be measured again. And uh, it really happens on a physical way. So learning, it's also a physical process. But the question that I do is, do we know how we learn? So if we want to have impact on the players, I think before we know about uh, systems or uh, game models or uh, positional profiles, I think that we should uh, domain the most important tool that is uh, learning. We'll have a couple of uh, education courses on this because for me, like I said on my previous experience in Real Madrid, look, I can be on the first team, but uh, I'm not having impact. This is At the end, it's not important because I don't have the base. The same thing right now is, look, okay, I can understand 433s and 442s and uh, game models and players' profiles and uh, positional profiles and how to adjust the team to, to the other team. But uh, again, if I don't have the capacity to transmit all this information to the players, how useful it is. So before we know that, it's more important to to know how we learn. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, actually, Diogo. Um, I mean, I think that we, we spend so much time on this technical and tactical and, and, and physical presentation, but it's what happens between the two ears that really defines, I think, players, coaches, and, and how the game how the game is evolving and Obviously, the, the game is changing right now so quickly. And the way we we talk with players and we talk with coaches and, and the way we teach is so different to what it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And I love the fact that you've, you've, you've had this experience in, in Qatar with, with Aspire. And it's, it's so relevant right now because we're now about to embark on something that's never happened before, a World Cup in the winter a World Cup being played in the Middle East and the World Cup being played in the country where you've you spent, you know, eight, nine years. What was that experience like? And how, coming, coming from a country of Portugal where, where you said at the beginning of the, of the show, you live, you breathe the sport. In Qatar, maybe not so. How did you go about expressing and transferring your love and your passion to uh, to a country that perhaps doesn't have the same uh, the same feeling to the sport and now they're on the precipice of the world cup and and and, and playing and hosting the world cup talk to us a little bit about that experience and and how you see uh, the country doing so nick uh, I think we are being unfair and saying that they don't love the game. Look, we all can love the, the game and express it in different ways. And this is what happens. So it's not because they don't show the same passion that we do, that uh, they don't love the game the same way that we do, because they do love the game. And the, 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 the best proof of, the, of it is uh, everything that they've done to have the World Cup, how important for them was to having the World Cup and how they develop a country, because this is true, how they develop a country thinking on a World Cup. Look, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I wish that all for the good of the game of soccer, I know that this is impossible, if all the countries that they wish to have a World Cup did what they did in terms of developing a country, look, soccer will be unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
So they do love the game. Maybe they are not so enthusiastic or they don't show it the same way that they do, but they do love the game. Uh, that's uh, something that is for sure. But then again, it's a country with 2 million inhabitants. Okay, so we, we cannot make omelets if we don't have eggs. Okay, so uh, the reality is this. They are competing with countries that, uh, for example, USA, they have 300 million inhabitants. So LA by itself, they have 24 million inhabitants. So how can they have uh, high-class players if they don't have this basic principle that is quantity generates quality. So uh, for them, it's difficult. So again, the, the way that they proposed themselves to for this World Cup was to invest as much as possible that they could on the players that they had available to play the World Cup. So it, it, most of the players that will play the World Cup, they don't have passports because they gave them passports. Most of them, even if they are not uh, Qataris, uh, they were born there because the, the, the thing is, for you to be a Qatar, you really need to be from a Qatari family because the Qataris, they have a certain privilege on life. So if, if you're born there, they will not give you a Qatari passport. Uh, so they are not buying the players. Of course, they have one or two players that they went there and start to play in a younger age, but they were not born there. But the, 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 the core of the team, they are all from there. And uh, this is the, the, the kind of love that uh, they are showing for the game. But again... I think in a, a, a cultural perspective, this is a, a good description of who they are, how they are. The second thing, I do believe that in terms of sports performance will be an amazing event. Why? Because the players, uh, in terms of uh, readiness, they will be much better. Uh, when we have the World Cups at the end of the season, the players are tired. Uh, so most of the times, the, the, the national teams, they are doing load management. They are not training. Um, and this time this is, will not happen. So the teams, they really prepare themselves for the, the best competition that we can have in the world. So definitely we have teams better organized, players more fit, and the game will be much more spectacular. Um, so this is my opinion. Of course, I have bias on this. I will not say no. I love the experience that I had there. Um, it was very enriched for me on my professional point of view on my uh, individual growth point of view, also for my family. So I have two kids. Uh, they didn't born there, but they were educated uh, most of the, the, their life over there. So this also have a, a tremendous impact uh, on me. But uh, I have a very good belief that the World Cup will be a very nice experience in terms of, um, of the sports performance. And then what, what I say to the people is uh, don't expect the same because they are not the same. Look, it's the same thing that going to Japan and uh, thinking that we're going to have a World Cup uh, like we'll have in Mexico. It will not happen. Why? Because it's a different culture. And the only thing that we need to do is try to go there, try to adjust and respect it. And once we do this, I'm pretty sure that everyone will enjoy it. Okay? We just have to have this uh, open mindset to understand that they have a different culture and they have different habits. And we need to respect that. Yeah, uh, couldn't couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be a fascinating World Cup. Uh, to your point, players are always so tired at the end of a grueling season. They've been playing for nine months, two, three games a week in some cases, especially for the top teams. And for these these world class players to be able to go to a World Cup fresh, 
I think is going to be it's going to be a real eye opener, and perhaps you know the 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 uproar over Qatar having the World Cup in the winter. Oh my God, it's breaking up the season. Uh, this is terrible. I think that after experiencing it and and probably seeing that the the level of play is going to go up, don't be surprised if it happens again. That's what I would say. Um, moving on, I know we spoke briefly about your experience at Sporting Club, and I uh, once again I want to be cognizant of your of your time. Let's talk about Cal South. You're currently in Lisbon. Uh, you're packing up. You're making the big move to Southern California. You just mentioned something fascinating, which I, I, I sometimes forget. In LA County, uh, the 24 million people. Uh, there's, what, 6 million in Portugal, 2 million in, in Qatar. You have this incredible, dense humanity and, and so many so many soccer players. But it's, it's, it's a massive... It's, Southern California is a country in itself. You're one person. Tell us about how you're going to formulate a plan that will allow you to influence and touch as many people as possible. Okay. Uh, so the, the plan is already built. Um, everyone that would like to, to, to consult, uh, please email us out because the strategic plan is already defined. It's there. So everything that we'll do, there's a reason why we are doing it. Uh, mainly there are three phases that are important for us the the the, the, the entry the development and the, um, and the exit strategies um we, we we also define that our pillars uh, and this is very important for us because this is what to tell us who we are as an organization our pillars and our values they have as one of the the pillars education and development so this is how i really intend to to touch uh, the landscape um, will be a lot through education and uh, through education we'll have our voices spread uh, all over the, the community uh, this is how I intend to have a, a practical impact on the things that we want to implement again we're going to restructure some competition formats we're going to create new programs so if we want to have some behaviors, we need to, to generate some uh, platforms for these behaviors to, to happen. So the thing is exactly this. We want to launch an under six, under seven, under eight uh, league. I'm a big believer of younger we start, better the players they will be. I'm a big believer of uh, small formats of the game because it's where they can touch more the ball so they will have more actions and it's where they can learn more. Why? Because they will have to take more decisions. And yes, kids with six years old, seven years old, eight years old, they can play amazing football. Amazing football. Okay? I think that is missing um, in in our uh, state association, but uh, I think broadly on the US, the 5v5 format. I'm not talking about futsal. I'm talking about the 5v5 format. I think that we need to have competitions to build them from the 2v2 to the 5v5 uh, because this is an amazing tool to develop the players and not just the player, the players and the coaches because it's the most simple way of the, the, the center of the game. So on the 5v5, we have the weed, we have the depth, we have the support, we have the inside game. So all the major principles that are important for a player to do main in order to take decisions, they are there um, and we really need to reinforce this. So Using uh, coaching education to influence the coaches to be our voices 
for the players to make sure that the message is clear for everyone that uh, why we are here, we are here to make the players better, not to make ourselves better. We'll be better if the players will, will be better. And uh, again, we want to generate these competitions, but a strong message that I want to give is we need to understand that competitions, they are platforms of development. They are not just a table. They are not just a ranking. Look, it will be very bad for everyone if the table defines us as a coach. It means that only one is good and all the others are bad. Why? Because only one can win. And uh, this is something that is uh, that is important that the coaches they need to have in mind that even being the last on the table, maybe they did an amazing job because maybe they improved a lot of the players. And that's why we are there. We are there to develop players. The consequences of this, of course, it's winning games, but we cannot forget. And sometimes we try to compare. So, for example, with sporting. As in sporting, we have the capacity to do recruitment, to do scouting. So we have the capacity to select players. So, of course, by selecting players, the chances for me to win are way bigger. The way that the landscape is structured in California, this doesn't happen. So we have only a few teams that are doing recruitment. And even when they are doing recruitment, they are doing recruitment in a very small space. So definitely they will not have the capacity to to have the best players. So winning or losing cannot define uh, the, the work that is being done. Why? Exactly because they don't have the best players. They have the players. So here the most important tool will be what? Coaching. So the best way to make sure that they are better is coaching. But then we need competitions for the players to develop themselves. And we need to create different types of competitions to give different types of stimulus to players. We want the player to be able. So the thing that I'm always saying is we need to play what the game is giving us. Okay, so a lot of times we go to the fields and now I have a 4-3-3. Okay, but what that means? Now I play with a fullback, I play with this. Okay, but what that means? If that fullback suddenly needs to go and play on the middle of the field, what happens? So I have a good relation with Juan Manuel Lilo. So Juan Manuel Lilo um, is the father of the positional game. Uh, until this year, he was assistant coach with Pep Guardiola and he's really the, the big influencer of the positional game with Pep Guardiola. And one time he told me this very funny story that uh, when he, he signed for America, uh, a, a player got to him and say, Oi, profe, uh, hey, prof, uh, I'm the, the, the fullback. I'm the right fullback, so anything that you need for me, please let me know. I'm here to work for the team. And he told him immediately, so you're going to have a problem because I don't play with right fullbacks. And the player, imagine a player that plays in America, one of the biggest clubs of Mexico. The player was, no, no, I have a problem already with this coach. And he's, he's telling the story. is very funny. I'm already having a problem with this coach or this coach doesn't like me, so what I'm going to do? And then... He goes to a meeting to present the, 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 the model and he said, look, this player, so he told me that uh, his position is a right back. Um, but I told him that with me he's going to have a problem. He will not play because I don't play with right backs. But what I really want to say is you play with the right back when you are on the position that our team needs to play outside, okay, and defend outside. But sadly, if we have one man down and you need to come inside, so you're going to have to play as a, a central back. So 
or uh, if we need to create overload in the middle, you need to play as a midfielder. So uh, the thing is, it's not about your position. It's not about the tactical system. It's how you interpret the game. Because in all the moments of the game, you're going to be in different spaces. You're going to need to do different things because the teams, they will adjust to you. You need to adjust to the other teams. You need to overload the other teams. So this is all the time rethinking the game. So one of the things that I, I value a lot and I, I message this player is the players, they play what the game is giving to them. Okay. And this is how the players, they need to be teached. Okay. So uh, they, they need to be developed in a way that independently where they are, they need to, to have the capacity to understand what the game is giving them to give the answer. So it, it, it's all about a learning process uh, thing of the game. Uh, it's uh, not being fixed in something because at the end of the day, and I can give you the, this example, look, not talking a bit about Barcelona, that is amazing. But if we compare Barcelona or, or Real Madrid, and uh, I will, I will uh, say what is my point is uh, Barcelona plays uh, very well when they are Barcelona, but then when the players of Barcelona from Barcelona, they need to play outside of Barcelona, they cannot play. So what happened? Is this player not good? No, the player is amazing, but it was amazing to play on that system. Meaning what? That on Barcelona, they developed them in a way that it just works for them. Meaning what? That their capacity of adaptation is very small. So if they play like that, they will have success. If they don't play like that, they don't have success. So am I a believer of this model to develop players? Look, and here respecting a lot Barcelona, Barcelona have very clear, we want to develop players to play in our first team, period, period. So yes, for Barcelona, it's amazing. But then on the player point of view, so how many players will get to the first team of Barcelona? Not much. So all my career I've been developed to play for Barcelona, but then I will not play for Barcelona first team. And then what I will do with my career if I don't have the capacity to understand the game? Why? Because they are understanding what the game is giving based on the premises of Barcelona style. Okay. On the other hand, Real Madrid, that have a very simple way. So the message of Real Madrid is attack. 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 Run. Attack. Run. So what you see is Real Madrid is one of the clubs with more play. No, actually, it's the club with more players playing in La Liga. So meaning what? That the way that they develop players, of course, it gives them success and they understand what the game is giving them. So every time that they move the context or they move, they change the, the, the team, they are able to adapt to this contest. And this was something that we implemented in Sporting. We It was already there, but we, we make sure that it's still there because we know, look, how can we measure success on the youth development program? On Sporting, definitely was putting players on the first team. But then again, playing, putting players, playing on professional league, this should be the KPI on the first, on the second division. Okay. And then after this KPI, putting players playing on the national teams, meaning what? That they are having success on the clubs and even on the clubs, they are having so much success that they are being called up to the national team. So again, the concept of the quantity to the quality. So... A lot of players playing professional, meaning that your program works good. And then if those players are also having the capacity to go to the national team, it means that you also develop them very well and they are the elite of the elite. So this is something that uh, we did in a very conscious way also in sporting uh, because it's important. 
And uh, these are the type of things that uh, I do believe that we need to implement. Look, education, definitely. And uh, the coach needs to understand that before talking about system, the system is a consequence. It's, it's an organization of the space in relation to the, the, to the people that are uh, next to them. Uh, what is really important is the players to understand that they need to play what the game is giving to them. And this education, this different uh, types of competition formats is exactly to provoke these type of situations. As you can hear, everyone, Diogo is a great thinker about the game. And I've had the opportunity and, and privilege to speak with him on a number of occasions. And to be honest with you, I could listen to him for absolutely hours. But I know he's got a lot to pack. He's on his way to Southern California. So, Diogo Gama, thank you so much for appearing on The Bear and the Ball. And parents, coaches players please his email address is on the cow south website cowsouth.com he will answer all your questions he will talk to you deeply about this beautiful game that we we all love so much and as always you can find out more on cow south go to instagram cowsouthsoccer.com uh, on twitter and of course on facebook i am nick webster yogo gama thank you for joining the bear and the ball we will see you in Southern California in a matter of weeks. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Nick.